These tools are for you to use. I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My guest on the podcast this week is Calvero, aka Gabe Leibowitz. Gabe was my roommate for a while years ago. I mean, probably, damn, like eight-ish years ago now. Gabe is an incredible musician as well. Uh, Calvero you need to hear Calvero's music. It is this big, grand, bombastic... He references meatloaf at one point in the interview. That is not an ironic reference. He is a meatloafian, beautiful... It's kind of M83-ish vibes, if we're going to go hipper, um, musician and songwriter. So I also would put Gabe in a class with just a handful of previous guests who I consider kind of creative fellows of mine, people who are kind of on the same independent artist path. The other guests who fit into that category, I would say Bill Stern, comedian, good friend, uh, Whitney Wasson, comedian, artist, visual graphic artist. I would say We on We, the musician we we kind of became friends after after talking and he feels very much on that path to me and al church the the musician from minneapolis so if you were assembling a, a pack of episodes the this is your afterlife independent artist pack this would be the fifth in that in that collection and as an independent artist i really want you to go support gabe Follow him on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, support his Patreon, support his podcast. He has a great little podcast where he's doing kind of storytelling of the origins of Calvero um, and listen to his music. It's great. You can also follow me at the links in the show notes and right. Gabe's links are also in the show notes. And speaking of independent artists, I would love if you went to my Patreon patreon.com slash Dave Marr. I really believe in this model of directly funding artists we give a shit about, showing that we care about people following their muses, doing things different ways, trying things, experimenting, and cutting out corporate bullshit. I'm not trying to sound like a 1980s punk rocker here, but maybe that's just what I am. But I really would love if you went to my Patreon, you get extended versions of all the episodes, you get playlists, you get uh, access to live shows that happen virtually sometimes, and plenty of other great stuff. Speaking of Patreon, I also want to thank my Pigeon Level patrons, Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, and Fred Fidewa. So that is all I've got for you. Enjoy this conversation with Calvero. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like it's mine. Calvero. What yeah. do you hope happens when you die? What do I hope happens when I die? Can can I ask a clarifying question or do you just want me to to answer how that hits me how that question hits me? Uh you can do both. Okay. So is it how what the world will be like and how people react after I die or like what, what will my exist, my personal perceived existence after death be like? 
Right. Well, which which do you where does your mind initially go when you first hear that question? Probably the the latter. Okay, same, but I and I truly did not even consider until starting this podcast that it could be the former. But Right, cuz I heard that that's what that's where Drennan went. More of the yeah, the yeah, and I think there's a lot of people. I tend to think those are like less selfish, better people who think about like helping future generations. But I personally am just thinking about like what's happening to me. You know what I mean? I mean, less so now, right. but truly, whatever, whatever feels more fruitful, more juicier territory for you. Well, I've got, yeah, I've got two. Well, something that's maybe like a little juicy. It, it, maybe this isn't what I want, but this is more of like a fear. This, this is like something that I'm deeply ashamed of. But sometimes when like a when a, when a famous person dies or or like a or like a well-renowned person dies, and you see like so many people just like you eulogizing them, and they're all just like you know they were just like so respected by their peers and their field and everything, and I'm just kind of like. I don't think that's what it would be what it would be like I died as far as like what people's reaction would be. Mm-hmm. I'm kind I kind of get like ashamed <laughs> that that's where my mind goes. Well, no, that makes sense. I mean, as an artist that you would like and to be clear, dude, you're you know those people like none of us are prince, you know what I mean? So it's like Right there's a part of you that's probably right there. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 you're not going to like, yeah, at least at, shake the world. at this, well, yeah. at this moment in time, it would not be the Prince. Yeah. Eulogy. I didn't mean like icons. I meant more, but, but yeah, but, but, but I'll say like, as far as what I hope happens to me when I die, um, I, I, I would say as much as I've given that thought, if, if it's similar to, just like a void that I'm not aware of that, that like, that I assume is what it was like for me before I was born. Then I, I I'd be like, okay with that. Really? That doesn't freak you out at all. I mean, it did when I was, um, when I was a kid, I was just, I, I was like really obsessed with it. And it, it was like, a it was like a, 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 it was like all I thought about. And then again, like in, in my, early twenties, I had another like existential crisis, but, but as of now, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I'm, it just doesn't really feel like anything I can control. So guess I'm fine with it. So you just never worry about things you can't control. Oh, I do. I just try, I kind of like, uh, it's so funny. Like I, I, um, I think that, that obsessing about death and and for those of you who who don't know which is probably all of you i have like pretty intense um ocd that i've been going to therapy for the past two and a half years to get under control but it, it first really manifested as an obsession about death and uh and i think this was maybe when i was in like second grade or third grade and it was just all i would think about and it was kind of the realization of like wait a minute but we're just like we're just like bugs and we're just like dogs. And, <laughs> and most of us don't think that they go to heaven. And then realizing that I was a Jew and Jews didn't even believe in heaven as, as like some kid at the playground told me I freaked out. Um, but, but yeah, I was just, I was trying to comprehend just time and the ending of time for us 
mm-hmm. if we die. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And it just felt like something that I couldn't control. And something that really fuels obsessive thoughts is problems that you can't solve. And for us, death is a problem that none of us can solve because it's going to happen. And most of us don't know or aren't confident what's going to happen when, when, when it happens. Um, so eventually... I made a deal with myself that's just like, okay, I'm like 10. I got to just like chill on this till I'm like 50 that I can worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really good advice. I remember when I was going through like a really bad breakup. Um, you know, Andrew Tischer, right? Of course. Yeah. He was like, he was like. Legend. I was going on some like weekend vacation or something. And he was like, just put it on a shelf. Like this, like pain you're feeling is like going to be there for you. When you come back, try to just like hang it up. And I was like, that is incredible advice. And I was like, kind of able to do it a little bit. So I, th- I like this, put it on a shelf until you're 50. situation. Huh? Well, well, there's, I mean, yeah, there, that's obviously, I think a more grounded approach to that um, is, Maybe this is a bit of a pivot, but my I, a close collaborator and friend of mine, uh, Max, died um, in November of last year. And I remember just like dealing with that. I, I just let it occupy so much of my mental energy, which is normal, I think. And yeah. I but I but I just felt and I was talking to a friend he was in in the in the car with another friend of mine, and they they both died uh, really tragically. But I was talking to a friend of uh, a friend of mine who was friends with with um, the other person in the car, and and we were just saying that that it was like we were trying to speed up the grieving process by by cramming it all in so that it would so that it would get easier sooner, and that's just like not how it works. And so when I when I talked to my therapist, he, he had said like, you know, this, your, your friend Max is going to be with you for the rest of your life. And you're going to be, you're going to be processing this for the rest of your life. And I think it's more, it, it, it would be unhealthy to, to just compartmentalize those feelings and to not confront them. And I was certainly doing that at a certain point. Like I would just be be numb and just like scrolling on Instagram and Twitter and just like caring about like a bunch of fucking bullshit or whatever. And then when I finally took some time to just like, just like cry and just really think about it, it felt like very good um, to, to just like be there in that moment. So, so yeah, it is like um, maybe that's unrelated to what we were talking about, but that's what it led me to think about. I think you know I think you know this question about uh having to relive one memory which uh, oh I which don't is, know that question okay so the in my last one man show feed wolf ice cream there's a there's a premise that I lay out where we're in the afterlife and in this afterlife you have to choose one memory to fully relive <laughs> It's not that your other memories are wiped and it's not that you get stuck in this memory. It's just that whenever you want to, you can access and fully 
drop down into, in all senses, this one memory. But you have to choose one. So if that wow. were the case, which memory would you choose? As in, huh? That's can you change the can you change any part of the memory, or does it have to be like exactly the same? If that, um, if that makes a difference, like if that allows you to choose one that you're thinking of, then sure. I mean, yeah, you, you know, because I think that like when I think about um, two of the two exciting moments in my life where where two studio breakthroughs I had. And one of them was uh, when I was working on an album with my, my, um, my previous band dastardly. And I, I had, um, I had sold a song, so I was able to pay for a bunch of studio time. And I was working with my, my, uh, the, the manager of the studio, the, this guy, John Alvin. And um, this, the, the whole thing of working on a studio and being hands-on with production was very new to me still. And I had all these sounds of like the Cocteau twins and Sade and, um, and like Chris Isaac and the Twin Peaks soundtrack or whatever that, that to me, it would just be so amazing to, to dial those sounds in. And there was just like one week or one day when I would go there and, and we were just dialing those sounds in. And, and for the first time I was seeing what it was like to, to just, um, to, have these sounds in my head that that felt so mythical and so untouchable and to just like make them tangible and make them mine and to be in that environment where I was doing that for the first time where it felt just so new and it felt endlessly exciting whereas I do that now like every day not not to dude this isn't hustle culture shit this is just like it's a part of what I do every day yeah. And it's just like a part of the job now. But but I feel like like the, the magic of that moment. Um, I think also similarly, there like um I think it was maybe the second or third session of Banishing Streets when I was I was working with Max, my friend who passed away. Um Max is just somebody who I have just always look up looked up to and i've just always wanted him i've always wanted to impress him i've always wanted him to be just like stoked about what i was doing and i had sent him the demo that i made in garage band for for uh vanishing streets and he was like yeah this is pretty cool or whatever and th- throughout like the, <laughs> good response the, 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 yeah, yeah yeah that's what you want to hear right but but after the first like one or two days we had worked together and he had like weighed in and and made some changes and it was just sounding really great and by the third day I was tracking the vocals and I had been going to the library in uh, in Chicago at the Harold Washington Library and I had been practicing like an hour every day um and so when I was singing it I was just looking over at him and he was just like so excited and he was just like oh man I love this song and just like that that feeling of of you know it, it didn't matter if the song was going to be a success or if this new chapter of my musical career was going to be um was was going to change my life or anything it was just like just taking something that was just okay and elevating it and being with somebody who i cared about who was excited about it like th- those are those are two strong memories that i would be happy to be able to uh to revisit 
what would you, you said you wanted to change something. I think what I would change would be for the first memory, the das for the dastardly album. I don't really like that music anymore. So, so, so I, 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 I just rather like it be with music that I thought was cooler, Okay, okay. <laughs> but, but the same thing with, with Max, is there a change? Um, Maybe maybe a different song if I'm sick of Vanishing Streets, but but that the max. Oh, maybe not. I yeah. like that. So you can kind of put like I'll give I'll give you that. You have like yeah. a different. We'll say you have like a magic tape or CD that plays whichever it, it yeah, has whatever, the whatever song stems. Is that the right? Is that the right? Uh, oh, look at you! Term for look the at you. the what, separate they talk about tracks? that in DSA or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah socialist music production dude um yeah no but but i think yeah i think i'd change if i could change the song um and but keep the feeling and keep the relationship dynamic then that's um yeah okay so so i like this and i really like the image of you being in this moment where you're singing and he's like nodding his head along and cheering you yeah. on. Can you describe this studio setup? Like, are you behind any plexiglass or glass? Like, or are you just in a separate part of? Oh no, we were right room? next to we were right next to each other. He was in this um in this like disgusting basement of uh, this house that he was living in, and it was just like totally dark, and there was just like a tracking room that that had like no windows um no light he was like drinking wine at like 11 a.m or something okay um but but yeah it was just like a very small room with a um with a with a couch in the back um there were maybe some like weird neon lights or something and he had just like he he was just sitting by his his uh big computer with um some some uh, interface and then but I was just like standing to the right of him just like right there in the microphone like singing into some sort of like foot was there a foam like container no. around you or something no oh, you wow. don't need that you don't need that shit yeah I do I just do it right in my room I don't do it I mean I have pop screen a pop filter for yeah. sure but yeah. um but other than that okay so you're like right are you both facing the same direction or are you facing each other no we're facing yeah we're both looking forward but, uh, okay. but I'm like, it's easy to look over. It's easy to look over. And I remember at one point when I was singing The Bridge, he'd say like, dude, who's this song about? Like, <laughs> Wait, he was saying that in the while you were singing? No, like after, after a take or something. Okay, okay. Yeah. Was it about one individual person? Um, I, I think it... I, I think um, it was more just like channel, channeling feelings from somebody, but, but that's... Um, I think that the, that song "Vanishing Streets" is a bit more of maybe an, an abstract um, concept song, but 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 certainly um, the feelings. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it was it was coming out of a relationship that I had with somebody who I was I was going through my own shit, and I was dealing with. Um, obsession and depression and anxiety and i was not getting treated for it and i and i wanted to to um to just like transcend that for this for the sake of being able to be present with this person that i cared about and i think that to me that's what the song vanishing streets is is about in in just like a grand meatloaf sort of way but uh sure yeah so it sounds like so i'm i appreciate the like mixture of all these elements of like 
all of the hours singing in the library practice rooms, being present there, like it's like that's like a montage that's like preceded right. the moment or something. But having yeah. your friend there in these like sort of like dingy, like less than sparkling studio conditions, cheering you on. But describe the the thing about elevating mediocre material like how does like a song that's like i mean i guess i can understand it with like you know you have like a stand-up premise that like you write a little bit more clearly or specifically or come up with better punchlines. but what what's the way that like if this song started with him just being like yeah it's fine or whatever how yeah. does it get from there to like fist pumping Right. Die. Well, well, what I'll what I'll say is that I think that the song, this song that I wrote, like as far as like the lyrics and melody, that didn't change. And when I would sing that in around Chicago, just with my acoustic guitar, it would always get a good response. So I was confident about that. It was just that I put together a demo, which uh, for those of you following me on uh, subscribing on Patreon, you can you can find that demo that just had had your boy had to do it. Your boy had to do it. Do what but, you um, got to do, man. But but I I arranged it all on GarageBand, just like all the drum ideas, all the synth ideas, and everything. And I was just so no so new to this concept of production, as far as me being the one behind the uh, the computer. That it was just like there were just too many ideas. There was no, like, there was, there was no aesthetic that grounded it. Like there was, um, there was like kind of like modern hip hop drums. And then there was like some 80s stuff, but there was also like pianos and it was just kind of like a very unclear direction. And then like there, like there were no harmonies and there were like, there were big choir harmonies that were just like, not, not, very well arranged and so it was when i got to max's house he was he was more just like i want people to know what they're getting into within like the first five seconds of of this song and Mm -hmm. so he was very direct about the elements that he was stripping away that that he could strip away from the demo that weren't serving that purpose and enhance the ones that were serving that purpose so so essentially just like he he really leaned into what made it feel like an '80s anthem, whereas that wasn't necessarily that was one of like a few directions that that was like bubbling up at the surface of the demo that I made. So so you could so have I, end up being like a trap artist if he had if he had <laughs> highlighted the wrong things. Absolutely, yeah. So after that session, did you how did like do you remember like walking out and like? smoking cigs or like drinking a big (laughs) Arizona iced tea or something like what was like like was there any sort of like afterglow moment well you have to you have to understand for for those of you don't know my backstory but but I had um I had fronted a band for like five years that I had a lot of high hopes for and it had kind of I had decided to to break it up and and just um figure out a solo project for myself and I had been writing a lot of pop music for other people. And I was trying to figure out how to take that, the, the idea of like pop music, of, of making music that, 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 uh, that, is, that is just like more indebted to like classic pop songs or even modern pop songs and doesn't have to be something that could be performed live, that could exist in kind of the more artificial realm of 
pop music from maybe the 80s onwards to now. And I spent like one or two years just making a bunch of songs and they all fucking sucked. And it was, it, or maybe they didn't suck, but but it was more just, there, there wasn't a clear identity. There wasn't a clear direction. And uh, after one or two years, I, I made Vanishing Streets and I had just had so many moments of like thinking that I had made a song that was like good and then sending it to friends who I respected and that them being like, this ain't it. Yeah. This ain't it. And then, so when I finished Vanishing Streets, I just like, I felt like I completely lost perspective. But when I started sending that one to friends and they would just be like, oh man, I've been listening, I've been playing this over and over again or like, my friend just played this at his bar and everyone was asking who it was. Like, that's when I wasn't even feeling like, Oh my God, I'm going to be successful. That was more like, well, finally I fucking made something that people like. <laughs> so it wasn't even an at the afterglow was less like in the moment of recording and was more this like diffused thing of getting feedback from people. Right. Yeah. Well, it was more affirming the feeling. It was like, I had the feeling but I had the feeling in the past of like, oh, this is, this <laughs> right, is cool. Right. I think I've done a good job. And but you don't, you can't it, trust the feeling if you keep, right. yeah, if it keeps, right. the bottom keeps falling out of it. Yeah, but this one was more, it definitely felt more special. And, and particularly for Max, who's just someone who I had known since um, we've been apart. We've been like supporters of ourselves and our own, like our, each other and our musical journeys from like 2010 onwards. And so he was just someone who I just like, I felt like if I could make him stoked, then 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 that would be a good place for me. Well, and that's like a really, I mean, I feel like it's rare to have these moments that crystallize like so many things. You're like crystallizing your, leveling up your songwriting process, your recording process, your friendships, your the direction of your like art, like that's I feel like it's rare that people in the moment realize when they're like turning a corner. Yeah. Absolutely. What's your coma? You know my coma. And so I won't tug the boat there. I'll just say for you, what is a moment similar to that, but not in scale? It can be something really small. Could, where... could you elaborate? Could you elaborate on that? I am elaborating. Dude, I, I realized you were going to say that as soon as I asked. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm ashamed and I promise to be better. <laughs> but just something where before you were, it's a moment of transformation where before mm-hmm. you were one person and after you were a more concentrated version of yourself, something that's been stripped away, something had been changed. Yeah, that's easy. When, when I started going to therapy two, two and a half years ago. Really? Oh, yeah. You were already in Rhode Island at that point, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so what precipitated that? Yeah, this is actually, I, I've been procrastinating because I'm supposed, by the next episode of, of, my podcast, Calvero Speaks, out now on all podcast platforms. All right, um, bro. We're really trying to make this not a promotional <laughs> sort of situation. So, you know, I appreciate you talking to everyone else who's not in the Zoom room with us. And uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, so okay, yeah. you've been like procrastinating. Like yeah, that's the story you're gonna on... tell on that next yeah. episode. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, then but... this is the end of the podcast, and thanks so much for <laughs> being here. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! No, what is the what I is the? No, but, but, the I, but I mean, um, um, yeah, I just I had gone to to lots of mandatory therapy when I was a kid, and and I think that, and when I was in high school, and I think that it was all about. Um, just like getting out of therapy because it was such a pain in the ass and mandatory. And, um, why? Oh, well, it was, um, it, I guess it wasn't technically mandatory, but it was just like my parents were making me go. And I was having some, I was having a lot. I, w- I had to go to like a, a hospital program every day um, instead of going to school for reasons I won't get into, but that involved like daily talk therapy and everything. Okay. So, okay. Um, but but yeah, like when, when I moved to Chicago and I was in Chicago for 10 years, I just never went to therapy. And towards the end, I just, I was having, I was really, really struggling to, to keep my head above water and to get through the day. And I would just tell myself like, I'll go to therapy once I'm successful because that's when I'll deserve it. And that's when I'll, that's when I'll be able to afford it because there's this stigma that therapy is this, um, it's this bougie thing that you have to be able to spend like 300 bucks a session when there's really just like, there's really good therapists that accept Medicaid or there's therapists that do sliding scale. And there's, there's lots of, but I didn't understand that, or I use that as an excuse. Um, and I was in, I was in Rhode Island um, when I had left Chicago for about two years and was just like really in a bad place and really isolated and really just, um, struggling and and um just like so miserable and just really low and and i um and then a couple friends had just suggested that i i i try therapy just talk to someone and then when i i finally got the courage to reach out to to a therapist that that uh was a family friend and i just started going there once a week and the the very first day of therapy he laid out what we talk about two and a half years later every every uh week where which is where i thought that my life was over i thought that my career was over that i was just in this miserable sad place after dealing with all this rejection and he just brought me back to reality and just told me like your problem is that you obsess about things and then that leads to anxiety and that leads to depression. And then when it comes to where you're at in your career, there's going to be ups and downs and you have to be able to maneuver your life with a clear head if you're going to continue to deal with this rejection and move forward. And, and I had thought that I was, I was um, offering up my, my life circumstances like, this tragedy that I would just have to learn mm-hmm. how to deal with, you know? And he's just like, no, that you're just like seeing things completely distorted. And, and, but I just felt like as, as the weeks would go on, I would just go there with some crushing burden of something that I would be obsessing about. And he would just help me get a clearer head and, and just loosen that load to the point where I'm just, I just function completely differently and, and much healthier without that burden of, um, of like 
completely catastrophizing and living in this obsessive, depressive reality that I had made for myself. So, Were these things that you had never heard before? Or was it just that he was saying them in a specific way? Or was it just that he had an authority that made you trust him? Like, do you know what I mean? They were things that I had never heard my heard before or that I had never um I had fully convinced myself that the only way that my life would be better would be if I had some career success or that if I made some money if I signed a publishing deal moved to LA et cetera et cetera I had never considered that my life would be fine if none of those things happened if I could just like calm the fuck down and just like learn to enjoy life with with where it's at that's so, just something that nobody had proposed to me. Really? That's wild. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds like you're surrounding yourself with a lot of people who had the same cognitive distortions. And it's, it's, uh, it's more common than you think. <laughs> no, I get it. Is there um, the thing that I find about talk therapy that is like, there are obvious benefits of sharing with someone, of having an hour to speak whatever you want or hear from an experienced trained person. But I sometimes find the adoption of realizations from talk therapy difficult. Mm. So it sounds like, but it sounds like the thing that made this feel like an actual big moment of change is that something about the way he said things like, truly changed your perspective in a way that ended up altering your behavior. Yes. Yes. And continues to do so. It was also like, I didn't even, and he, I, he also, um, he also suggested that I meditate, which I, which I know is just like, that's difficult for people. I don't think it needs to be done for, for everyone, but that's something that I also do every day and he's the one that suggested that my main issue was ocd like i was completely i was not sure i just thought like i'm depressed or i'm Mm. uh and just to be able to just like just for him to tell me the mechanisms that were causing issues and that just this concept that you can actually rewire your brain almost like what he would use this um the analogy of like there's apps where where it it notifies you if if you're if if you're like fucking up your posture you know what i mean so that so that like um so that it just it just reminds you to just um to just adjust your posture back straighter if that's what you want and it's kind of like the the same thing of of like i don't don't know if the term's the mindful buddha or something but but he i started doing this thing in practice where i would just be kind of observing my brain and my thought process and just trying to catch myself before I would slip into those thoughts that would then lead to anxiety and then lead to depression and to do it in a calm way. So how would you describe if you had to like give a quick like dating app style (laughs) summary of like pre- therapy gabe versus post therapy gabe how would how would you say it i think pre therapy gabe i would often what i would what i the way that i would think would be like okay oh oh shit i know i'm going to ramble on this what what oh 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 jesus i thought you were taking a break from what you were saying and i was like 
How can oh, I no, help? Just, what do I need to? Okay, I get, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, no, I'm just like, I, well, you're I'm, describing I'm, your mindset. You're not yeah, interrupting the, the interview. I'm okay, I'm notoriously bad at um at dating apps, so this is this is this might be too long, but um, but but yeah, I think bef- before I would just assume that I would have a month or two that would be lost to just depression, anxiety, and that that was just an inevitability. That was a part of who I was. And then if I was in an obsessive cycle where I couldn't focus, all I could do was think about this one thing. I would be like, okay, this is going to go on for like 10 or 20 days. Mm. It was just an inevitability. Now it's just like, I'm pretty consistent. I don't lose months. I don't, I, if I'm in a cycle, I can, I know what to do to stop it. Or I call my therapist and we work it out. So, so I, I don't lose large swaths of time anymore that's huge yeah and you can spend that time feeding it into the hustle and the grind dude just like just like growth you know (laughs) (laughs) just like it's like one front facing video every week (laughs) kill one thing like one thing that you want to wipe off the face of the planet. Um, ideally a small thing, you know, it, it, poverty, war, racism, think smaller than that. Okay. Could, could I get an example of something that someone else has just so I get, get like a more of a ballpark? Yeah. But, but I'm afraid to implant something in your mind, but the oh, one okay. that always sticks out to me is, um, well, okay. So two, so Angel Bot Dawid, um, mm. musician, she said racism. And I asked her to go like a specific manifestation of racism. And she said, having slave owners on the money. So mm. that's one. And that, but, and then Gary Richardson, who, you know, said, shoes off, culture like oh dude like going into it going into an apartment and being forced to take your shoes off i would say the the part of our culture that values young success Mm, okay so would you keep young success from happening or just limit no i would 30 under 30 30, yeah i would eliminate the 30 under 30 list i would eliminate the the just like the valorization of people like she did this and this and made this money and she's only 19 years old or, or like, uh, or even just like the, uh, the CNBC or whatever things. It's just like this couple retired at 29 because they're fucking they're like great grandfather had slaves. They don't say that part or something, but just like that, <laughs> right, that they inherited right, right. so much wealth or something. But, uh, but yeah, like, and then you'll see tweets that are just like, you got to work hard between 18, age 18 or 25, because that's, that will either make your life great or it will destroy, it. you know? Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. That's like a literal, that's like a literal viral. No, but, I haven't but, seen that one. But yeah, like I, I wish that there was a culture that, that just, um, that let people just be okay living their lives slowly, starting from a young age. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds very yeah. healthy and and uh, balanced. because that because the, that's that's like a sub of like I would love to eliminate capitalism, and I think that that mm-hmm. that is like a that's mm-hmm. like a small sect of of um, of people being told that they 
that their self-worth can only be um can only be confirmed through um succeeding in the marketplace that i think has fucked a lot of people up including myself well and people talk about with capitalism the and especially like neoliberal capital capitalism the the emphasis on like (laughs) the emphasis on branding (laughs) on like having to become a brand would that be part of eliminating this young success or would it be like you could still have your brand your individual voice it just wouldn't be focused on having it at age 16. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just saw this thing on TikTok that was um, someone who's just like, it, the joke is that like me when I'm watching Netflix and then it's, then it goes like, I'd rather be making music. And then it cuts to them making music instead. It's just like, why can't you just watch Netflix? <laughs> why can't you enjoy it? You don't have to be working. You don't have to be on every second. It's just like, I hate, I hate that part of culture particularly youth culture. It's just like the advice that I see so much. I saw something else on TikTok. It's just like, if you want to make it in LA, you just have to, you have to move to, you have to move to LA. You have to do every session you can. You have to work every day, 12 hours. Don't take weekends off. It's just like, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good way to just like hate what you do and just hate your life and just burn out and, and eventually do something else. Okay. Boomer. <laughs> maybe 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 I'm a booner. Maybe I'm no, a booner, but I'm no like, you're talking about I just love that you're like, that's what I hate about youth culture. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But no, I agree. I mean it it is like it's like, oh wow, this is what are you doing this for? Like you're if you want to make it, okay, like you're literally describing like a hellish life for the purpose of what getting the one deal that falls through three years later and no one, you know what I mean? But yeah, well, well, that's like, honestly, going back to what I was saying in in therapy, that was so transformative. That was also like a thing that he had said for that first day when I was just describing how miserable I had become from like my lack of my perceived lack of success in my music. And then he eventually asked me like, so why do you do this music? And, and I guess I was thinking about like, it was so important for me of the list of like the greatest music and the greatest artists of all time. And like the pitchfork stuff and the, the Lollapalooza or whatever. Mm-hmm. Lollapalooza. The Lollapalooza. And I just wanted to be, a, I wanted to be great. I wanted to be a part of that greatness legacy. And it was all about creating a legacy and it didn't matter if my life was miserable to get there. And he was just like, but, but then, but even so, why do you want that legacy for music? Because music makes you happy. And it's just like to, to focus on, to, to focus, you're doing this and you're devoting your life to these things because you could see being able to do that as something that would make you happy. And I think that's something that a lot of us forget vis-a-vis capitalism. No, that's an amazing twist of that to realize that, you know, because I feel like the usual take on that is why are you focusing on a legacy when that's posthumous and you're not going to be like, it's not going to actually do you any good unless you get to be a ghost just like floating (laughs) around observing your legacy in action. But But to flip it as like, oh, but why are you doing this in this specific medium? 
it's because you enjoy the medium. That's like some right. heavy epiphany shit. Yeah. But then I think it doesn't work for like content creators who don't enjoy whatever their medium is. It, they well, just <laughs> want the legacy. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people want the legacy. I think some people just want money or they want the lifestyle. I'm not sure yeah. how much a legacy has to do with it. Well, and that's where that is actually legit. Th- th- there should just be like lanes, like literal, like here's the studio for people who enjoy music. Here's the studio for people who want a specific lifestyle. Like here, here's right. the, not that there should right. be award shows probably, but like here are the award shows for the musicians. Here are the award shows for the lifestyle acts, you know, just like making it all about like, that's where hustle culture does come into play is, mm-hmm. is yeah. If you want to live a certain lifestyle in LA, yeah, you probably do have to like, work seven days a week, 13 hour days until you're John Bon Jovi's assistant and get a record deal on reprise records or some, some sh- I don't know. I'm like bog getting bogged down in, in weird, probably inaccurate specifics at this point, but. Well, I don't want to be insensitive, but an example I'll give is that I, <clears throat> I, I was watching a, video an interview with this guy who was futures audio engineer and he Mm. was talking about just like you know what you just take every call and you do everything and if i'm doing a session that starts at 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 uh 9 a.m i'm gonna do it till 8 p.m then if i get a call to do a session that starts at 11 p.m i'm gonna do that till the crack of dawn that's just how if you want to succeed that's what you got to do then the dude like uh, like maybe a few months after the interview, he died of a heart attack at like age 40. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty stark object lesson. Yeah. I mean, it could be, I, I again, I don't want to be insensitive. I don't no, know. No, no, totally. It, it right. It, right. It could right. have been different things, but I feel like oftentimes people just, they don't factor in their health or they don't factor in their mental health more important, or, or that's also as important because the, the goal of some, some, um, some sort of intangible success that they're after is just more important. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Support Calvero. Thank you already for supporting me. And tell your friends, and I will talk to you next week. You can do anything. You can do miracles. Things that seem impossible. You can do miracles. Miracles. You can do them. Have faith, you are human, only human, and human beings they do miracles.